Hi everyone, I'm Lotus Hackenberger, and you're listening to the 14th episode of the Postgraduate Environment Network podcast, PenPod. Today, I'm very excited to be speaking with Dr. Jared White, who is a registered clinical psychologist. Jared completed his entirety of tertiary study at Monash University, including his clinical doctorate thesis, which was titled Understanding Trauma, a comparison of Sudanese refugees and Holocaust survivors. He currently works with adults exploring meaning in and acceptance in a range of domains, including existential anxiety, complex trauma, depression, self-harm, relationship difficulties, grief and loss, alienation, and personality disorders. Jared has experience in a range of professional settings and is currently working at The Viewpoint, a private practice in Caulfield. Additional to this work, he has been designing and running eco-anxiety workshops. Today, we'll be discussing Jared's pathway to being engaged in this incredibly significant work. We will then have a discussion exploring, well, what is eco-anxiety? How has it evolved? And looking into some of its presentations. Finally, Jared will explain what his workshops are all about and share lessons for us all entering into careers in this space. As always, please follow the PenPod show. Hello, Jared. How are you today? Yeah, good. Good. Um, End of the work day, so feeling a little bit tired, but um, I'm trying to pep up for this chat. (laughs) (laughs) So to start off, uh, would you mind just giving the listeners just a bit of a background on uh, your career and sort of the journey to where you are now? Yep. um, So uh, in a nutshell, I am a clinical psychologist at the moment. I was, uh, I, I completed my, under, I went actually all the way through Monash Uni, Uni and I did my undergrad there. I did an arts psych degree and then my honours and then I completed my doctorate of clinical psychology at Monash. And when I finished my doctorate, I started working at a place called the DBT Centre, which stands for Dialectical Behavioural Therapy. It's a particular kind of therapy. Um, and that was where I sort of grounded my work. And, um, then I went to work at a place at the Epworth hospital and, um, another private practice called the mind room in Collingwood. And I was doing some volunteer work then at the time, um, as a psychologist with the asylum seeker resource center. And now I'm working, um, at private practice at um, a place called the viewpoint in Caulfield. Um, but alongside all of that private practice work, the one-on-one work, I've been doing a lot of, um, particularly at the Mind Room and uh, now, um, a lot of work that's uh, trying to build, uh, I guess, therapy practice, whatever you call it, into a bit more of a uh, outside the therapy room kind of space so that we um, can do this kind of work with larger groups and um, connect people in a larger way. And I suppose um yeah I'm doing a lot of learning at the moment when it comes to psychoanalysis and some interpersonal therapies which have been really helpful in um helping me practice one-on-one but also in helping me think about the topic that we're here today to talk about um and build some workshops around um the climate and the feelings that we have around that would you mind just describing these concepts of like climate grief and eco-anxiety Maybe also how those terms 
grown in interest um, and I guess your personal interest in them? Yeah, well, maybe I'll go backwards then. Um, I suppose I, I, my personal interest, well, if I actually might go right back to my doctorate. So my doctorate was on, um, I was looking at uh, trauma and how uh, we can understand trauma from a, a cultural perspective. Does culture influence the way that we can see trauma? So I looked at Holocaust survivors and Sudanese refugees and compared and contrasted the way they understand trauma really looking at the way that culture influences what mental health is and how we see it and that I think um, really stems from this question that I probably asked for a long time or still ask all the time um, which sort of got me into this field which is just basically why do humans you know uh, why do humans hurt each other <laughs> basically like why do we hurt each other and why do we hurt ourselves like um, I come from a holocaust survivor family and um it it um has certainly shaped you know my own sort of trajectory and so to ask that question why do humans continue to hurt each other is a question I sort of was brought up with and there's probably no or perhaps no bigger space to explore that question at the moment when, when it comes to this um, space of climate change um and um, to understand why are we doing this to ourselves like in, in a way you know how is it that we got to this place where we are um, destroying ourselves and destroying our planet our home and um, what, what 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 enables human beings to do that so yeah I, I think um, about uh, the uh, two two years ago or two and a half years ago now when the bushfires ravaged throughout Australia really sort of had already been becoming part of the landscape when it comes to psychology that I was aware of um, but that really um, you know it blew up the term eco-anxiety so eco-anxiety feels to me like the buzz the buzzword that we use as a way to sort of get into in the conversation around what we actually talk about when it comes to the feelings about our environment. But that word eco-anxiety, I mean, if, if you look um, the definition, I can't remember it exactly, but you can Google it. The definition of eco-anxiety is something along the lines of this overwhelming fear of impending doom about the future of the planet. Um, and the um, American Psychological Association defined it some years ago um, as a term and it's grown in its significance and it's um, it really actually stems back ages like 30 40 years ago to the time of nuclear threat that was when we first saw the term eco-anxiety emerge um, when there was concern around um, you know nuclear war um, and now it's had a resurgence really in relation to climate change um, and I think when we talk about eco-anxiety, you know, a lot of people will say it's it's not a diagnosis and it's not a diagnosis. It's not in, in, in psychology, you have the diagnostical, the, sorry, the diagnostic and statistical manual of mental disorders. We're in the fifth iteration of that and it's not in there at the moment. Um, and I think often people say that it's, not in there because eco-anxiety is actually just a really normal way to respond to the experience of the world dying, which we see examples of us all around us and the science is pointing that direction. But can I, to be honest with you, I don't, 
I don't actually think that's the reason it's not a diagnosis yet. I think the reason it's not, I think, and I'm going out on a limb. I think the reason it's not a diagnosis yet is because people just haven't got their act together. You know, like I just think <laughs> it takes a while to create a DSM. It takes years for that iteration to happen. I mean, it happens probably every 10 years. Eco-anxiety has risen in its popularity. It might not be in the next DSM. I don't know. But I think that when it comes to all of the diagnoses in the DSM, they're all in some way, shape or form, a human reaction to the context, a human reaction to our society, which is screwed up in so many ways. And, and you know, there's a great quote by this person called Eric Fromm, I think that was his name. Um, and the quote is, that millions of people share in the same form of mental pathology does not make those people sane. What that means is, you know, we can all experience this thing and that doesn't mean that we're sane or we can all not experience that thing but it doesn't make us insane. It's just that this is, yeah, it is a normal response. Does eco-anxiety necessarily, if it's a normal response, mean that it's a helpful response or a functional response? No, but it means it's human. Um hmm. And so I guess my sense of eco-anxiety based off the work I've been doing over the last few years is that eco-anxiety happens when we don't know how to deal with the feelings and we don't deal with the feelings that happen in relation to climate change, climate doom, climate grief, mourning, all of these things. And we have to suppress it or we have to contain it and we have to live our lives and try to make sense of it all and try and fix it and try and do something and try to make this whole situation go away. And I think that's when we get eco-anxiety. Um, mm. I think um, the anxiety is when we don't make space for all of these feelings and for the fact that we actually are all going to die, you know, <laughs> and, and, and that we're all going to have, um, when we don't want to make space, because that's really uncomfortable and and the fact that we're all, really hurting ourselves in some way shape or form so my sense is that eco-anxiety is normal it is human it is something that we're all going through although we that is scalable just like many, many of the, diag the the diagnoses you can experience it on a mild scale you can experience it on an extreme scale but um it's something that we have to work with we can't we can't just let be because um it's it's it, it it could be that we're covering um and and not giving time to a whole range of feelings that we need to explore that eco-anxiety contains do you think like for myself personally sometimes i feel like suppressing them is kind of necessary as well to sort of get through the day oh absolutely absolutely it's functional it's functional mm. like you know um we can't be feeling everything all the time. I mean, it doesn't work like that. We are feeling things all the time, but we can't be feeling everything all the time. And so um, there's a very protective mechanism in order, which is to suppress things. And yeah, I think that's, that's a really good point. Aim is not to go one or the other. <laughs> you know, I think, I think, um, what we're trying to do um, when it comes to 
eco-anxiety, and this is kind of the workshops that I'm starting to undertake, is to give space for it, to give space mm. for those feelings so that we can have spaces for that and function as well. Yeah, um, I've even found, I've been studying about climate change for seven years now, and I think even just over that period of time, I think it's become a lot more normalised to talk about the sort of mental strain that it does put on you studying these things. And I think it's really positive to see that people actually talking about it. I can't imagine what it would be like studying it for seven years. I mean, it's so confronting. And I read this, uh, I'm reading this book uh, at the moment, which I'll refer to probably a million times because it's brilliant. It's called Eco-Psychology, Restoring the Earth, Healing the Mind. And it was written... 37 years ago and it's so relevant today and um one of the chapters is by this woman who's both a therapist and an environmental scientist and she says with her therapy colleagues she can talk about her feelings but often with her environmental science colleagues she can't or they don't because they're just driven by the stats or like what's happening and how to work with it and whatever so there isn't the space this is you know what she said hmm. a while ago but I wonder what that's like for you I think you can get all a bit bogged down in the hopelessness together if you're hanging out with all these people that are all really into it and know how bad things are you can kind of indulge in feeling hopeless but I think there is a bit of a shift at the moment I think especially whilst doing my internship at Greenpeace very much like pushing for trying to maintain hopefulness hmm. um but I think I think it would depend on the on the person. I don't think everyone that studies climate change would be necessarily wanting to have a a DNM about eco anxiety. <laughs> well, that's that's actually what we you know I'm seeing around a lot as well, and and certainly where I began when it came to like developing workshops for this, it was actually about how do you turn the fear into hope, you know, like how do you become optimistic in the face of um, the tragedy and I suppose you you again we're trying to find some some fine lines because you don't want to be blindly optimistic and there's, mm. there's a problem with being blindly optimistic which you probably don't have to explain you don't want to be too pessimistic because then you can experience that hopelessness and I'm not saying that either of those are, are bad in and of themselves there's a really good book called um called the future we choose it promotes this idea of stubborn optimism about needing to be optimistic and you know you you go and you see like uh the movie 2040 damon gamo's film and um you're going to get a whole bunch of optimism um and there's a lot of work out there that's really trying to help people i think be optimistic um and there's also a bunch of work out there that's i think focused on um helping people take action you mm. know given what's happening the mongering well, it can become that way, I think, when you, uh, it's an interesting thing, it can become that way, I think, when you focus on taking action, mm. because anxiety often makes us want to do things, like it's like we have to act now. Definitely. So, I definitely think I'm motivated a lot by negative statistics, but I think I'm someone who, I don't really like looking like I'm someone that can't very easily look away from things. And I find that a lot of people can. I find it 
I think that's one of the parts of this that I can find quite isolating, I guess, is that I feel like a lot of people are quite able to look away mm. Mm. and maybe don't feel these emotions. Mm. I think that you're not alone in feeling that. And I think that it's also um, that I'd say that I wonder if people are good at compartmentalizing and almost thinking that you don't feel these things, um, but that in some way, shape or form, we all are. Mm. Um, I would love to hear more about the workshops that you have been organising and the sort of the thinking that's gone into them and yep. maybe sort of fleshing out some of the learnings from the workshops that you have been running. Yeah, so the first workshop I ran was um, around the time of the bushfires with the yoga studio. We did a partnership with, between the Mind Room and I Am That Yoga and that was a great intro into this sort of space for me to just sort of try and see how we can bring the therapy outside of the therapy room. Um, it, it really was focused on, okay, I mean, the basic structure was this is eco-anxiety. This is what it is. You might be feeling this. Let's talk about what we're afraid of. Let's make some space for it. Let's like, like bring out some of the fears that we have. And then the interesting thing about fear is that uh, it's very future-focused. And another emotion that's very future focused is hope. Often what we hope for is also uh, the thing that we uh, hope doesn't happen. In other words, the inverse of fear. Um, so let's see if we can turn our fear into hope and take some action. That was generally the gist of the workshop. And it was really great. You know, like there was at that time, especially there was a lot of emotion um, that came out very quickly and people were really feeling it. I then ran a few others for some other organizations. Um, we ran, ran one for the Department of Environment, Land, Water and Planning. But now, um, now I'm, I'm, I'm doing something um, with uh, the one that I'm working on now, which is actually really exciting. Um, it's a project with Landcare. I don't, you're familiar with Landcare, I assume, and um, yeah. particularly Far East Victoria Landcare, so Lakes Entrance um, area. And we're doing a year-long program that we're working on that hopefully we can build into something sustainable where we look at um, a few different things. One, um, making space for the fear, um, making space for not only the fear, but grief, loss, mourning. And then having some time to really consider how do we work with um, all of our feelings around the environment, I guess with the ultimate aim to be that we're not paralyzed, but also that we don't feel that we have to do things just for the sake of it and not actually really take time and think. I suppose one of the struggles with anxiety is we feel like we have to do things now and that can lead us often to um, fulfill something superficial rather than something, uh, you know, soulful and in-depth. Like a great example is, um, you know, um, if my partner says to me that she's upset about something and I offer these solutions that just because I feel like I need to offer something straight away, but they're not actually thinking of her, then I'm running on an anxiety rather than on really considering her. 
Um, and it's the same same kind of um, experience we can have with our planet, I suppose. Um, so that's kind of where we're progressing. I think one of the things when you ask about my learnings is that I think I'm learning a few things. One, I, I really know that there's a huge gap for me in in my understanding, and I'm I'm exploring this space. I'm so I feel like I'm so fresh to this, and there are so many people that have done it before me. Not only in a Western psychology sense, but in a Aboriginal and First Nations people and Torres Strait Islander sense, but also in um, Indigenous communities all over the world that have done so much work that I can only begin to hope to understand. You know, um, so. Um, I'm definitely lacking there and, and hope to champion some of those voices in the work that I do. Um, but also, I suppose the one thing I'm also learning over time is that I um, I don't have an answer. I don't know if anyone has answers. And, um, you know, I think the, the, the danger can be that I'm finding is when we feel like we have to do something, as I'm saying, for the sake of it, but rather than just let's make some space I, I don't know where it's going to go. We don't know where it's going to go. But um, let's just make some space to talk about what this experience is actually like as human beings hurtling towards our, our death, which is very much like what we go through on a day-to-day, in our day-to-day existence anyway. Like we're, we're all going to die. You know, we're all heading that way, but we don't really like talking about it. Mm. Um, Within Western culture, especially, I think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that that's kind of where where we're going with the direction. And there, as I said, there's so much work that's been done before. So I hope to just incorporate some of the things that I'm learning as I'm going. Um, you know, like when I talk about making space for feelings, um, there's a woman called Joanna Macy who's in the United States who I've been reading about, and she's done so much work in terms of that. Um, and she's got this wonderful um i actually don't know much about it but they they talk she talks a lot about this um ritual of mourning that they uh, get everyone to do which is just such a, a brilliant concept i think in some ways which is the idea of mourning um the loss of species or the natural environment and um how that might connect us to or build our relationship with uh, or rebuild perhaps even our relationship with the environment. Mm. Would you say <clears throat> within people that you've spoken to that um, are experiencing eco-anxiety that there's like distinguishable differences between, you know, standard anxiety that we talk about? Yeah, it's a really good question. I think there, the, the, on, on the surface there are some very distinguishable differences in that, you know, we're talking about particularly focused on the environment, particularly focused on nature versus um, we can have anxiety around, you know, anything. Anxiety itself is the that notion, I think, of containing um, our feelings and feeling like we have to act in order to prevent them from happening so that we don't feel them and so that we don't come to have to ever confront them. Um, mm. And in a way, I think, you know, that's when a heart races up uh, you know, um, uh, blood rushes everywhere and uh, pupils dilate and all that kind of jazz, you know, you can experience when you feel anxiety, shaky, panicky, etc. cetera. Um, but the other interesting thing about that is that what I'm reading about is just how pivotal 
talking about the environment is in any kind of therapeutic intervention. How much we need to as um, a, psycho a psychologist, clinical psychologist, general psychologist, no matter what kind of therapy you do, start thinking about how you can introduce the environment into that therapeutic modality or into the practice of whatever it is that you do. Because I guess the blend between ecology and psychology can help us think about how we're all separated and from nature and from the environment and what that actually means for us, um, what that division means for us um, and how it can ultimately be hurting us. So, um, yeah, I don't know if I think that answers your question. I think there is a, a distinction for definitional purposes and um, in the things that you might focus on, um, the, what you think about, but um, there's, there's a lot of crossover. Okay. Um, well, the only other thing I was wondering is for people within the Master Environment Program, if you have any, I guess, advice around ways to sort of manage these feelings going into our career besides potentially taking one of your workshops <laughs> yeah yeah well um for starters maybe i could ask you you know uh, you're going to be more of an expert than i am in this sense what do you see what what do you notice with the the students what sort of patterns do you see or or, or processes you're noticing for myself the things that I would say is like, yeah, definitely hopelessness, feelings of feel resentment sometimes even about like feeling very responsible, uh, quite isolated, um, which can make you feel more anxious because you feel like everyone's not trying to fix these problems. Is that, is that what you were talking about? Like what sort of emotions am I feeling regarding these yeah, topics? Yeah, yeah. And, and I guess like, the you know, the question I suppose we're looking at is, um, in some ways, how is this, uh, how is our psychology, our experience of ourselves, our emotions, how is that um, impacting us in a way that's hurting us? So, um, yeah, that, that resentment, for example, or hopelessness that you're talking about, like they, they might be actually really normal feelings, really important to talk about, but we don't. And so maybe one thing that I would suggest that I think it would be really cool to see or, or hear about or to, to even experience is how do, you, how do you make space for it amongst yourselves um, where you simply have time to um, put some time into each other and your relationships with each other around how you're feeling about the work that you're doing. Um, the, the, the shock I imagine you would see when you see certain um landscapes disappearing mm. uh what, what that's what's that the debriefing how, where do you debrief around that you know um where do you have time to to talk with each other about that so it becomes a shared experience that you can relate to each other on and feel a bit more connected in um mm. i've definitely found it a lot better having like becoming more close friends with people in my course obviously a lot of us have started this course during COVID and spent a lot of time online so you haven't even really met anyone but now that I've sort of developed some closer friends within the course I think it feels a lot more you know like we're in this together 
But yeah, I guess with the broader society, you can still feel quite alone in it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that one thing that I really appreciate about e the idea of eco-psychology is that it, it brings the world of psychology and the world of ecology together. Um, mm. And I think finding uh, we're going to need to find ways to bridge um, our disciplines. And um, if this is ever going to be something that we work with collectively, we're going to have to use all of our disciplines and all of our um, understandings and intellectual ability to an emotional capacity to work with this um, and draw on all of our strengths. So um, I hope that, that, that there's ways that we can, um, as I suppose, as you develop and figure out your careers and work through that, that, that there's space for working with other disciplines. Um, one thing that um, I don't know if this is helpful, but one thing that I I would suggest is in I wonder if in your study you spent you spent a lot of time focusing on statistics and impending disaster and um, there's a, a, a really useful thing about that because you've got to be able to see what's going on. The challenge is that there's a really coercive emotional force of guilt and fear that can come up. Um, and 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 feel like you you've you, you know it can really be challenging to just feel like you're doing the wrong thing all the time or you're not doing enough and um uh you know it's scary as well and I think being able to talk again with people about that and talk to even professionals about that whether it be in a workshop or go one on one um, have a, a reach out to a therapist or find your own practice. Um, and the the other thing I'll say is that um, it it it's, it can be very much about, uh, and this is a very broad thing, but how do you build your relationship with nature in into your life? And um, I'm very um, I'm very uh, premature in this kind of experience of building nature into my life, but I think that. Um, that separation that I was talking about earlier of the individual and the environment is part of our um, part of our problem as a species um, from a psychology standpoint. That that division, that separation. So, how do we find ourselves uh, and create narratives and um, a culture where nature is and and humans are very much interconnected? Um, not just in a theoretical sense, but practically um, in our urban cities and things like that. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting about this with you, Jared. Um, and thank you so much for your time. And have a lovely afternoon. Thank you. Thanks so much. It's been a pleasure.